Let's turn to Acts chapter 1, Acts chapter 2. We're going to look here. I'm not going to preach very long this morning because I know you're tired and you're looking forward to a little lunch and a little nap. nap. I know uh, some of the parents that, uh, of their teenagers that this is the first time in D now, you need to know this. You need to know this. Don't expect to have any conversations with your son or your daughter until at least tomorrow because they will go to your house and you will, probably won't see them the rest of the afternoon if, if it all holds to what has been true over the last few years since I've been doing Dean out here. So they will be worn, slapped out. So uh, Acts chapter 1, Acts chapter 2, we're going to look at this uh, this morning. Um, these, these passages that I'm going to speak to you about this morning have been marinating in my heart and my soul for the last uh, few months. And if you talk to me very long, I will bring up these passages. I'll bring up what's God, what God has been doing in my heart. If you look, if, if your t-shirt that you have on this morning, on the back of that t-shirt, I'm basically going to be preaching what's on the back of it. And it, this, this was on purpose. Everything that you see here, I'm going to bring up this morning because I wanted this, this idea of relentless, being relentless about your faith, relentless, relentlessly pursuing Christ with your life is what it's all about. So many times in our life, what we do is we come to a weekend like this or we go to camp and we think, man, Jesus, it's all going to be fixed during that week of camp. It's going to be fixed during that weekend at D now and I'm good to go for another year. But the truth is exactly what Isaac was saying. It doesn't stop here. It doesn't stop here. It's about a relentless pursuit of Christ. It's a day-by-day relationship with him. And this t-shirt, is as simple as it is, just a, just a, a t-shirt is a message in, a, in and of itself to be relentless, to go forward in your relentlessness towards Christ, understanding who he is and what he's done for you. So we'll, well, I'll bring that up this morning as we're, as we're talking about it. But in Acts chapter 2, if you know anything about the word of God, it, what you see in Acts chapter 2 is the birth of the church. It's the birth of the church when the Holy Spirit came down on the believers in in the most powerful way. Let's read a few verses here. Verse number one of Acts chapter two. It says this, on the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place, much like we're doing this morning, meeting together in one room. Suddenly there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. Okay, if I was sitting in that room that morning, that would kind of freak me out. Just sitting here quiet, praying, doing their thing, worshiping together. And all of a sudden, this mighty rushing wind comes in and makes this huge noise. And and the Holy Spirit invades the place. And little tongues of fire, the little flickers of flame started lighting up on each person's head. And I'd be like, what in the world? You know, hit the fire alarm or something. Let's get out of here. You know, spray them down with something, you know. But, uh. It would be an incredible, incredible sight. And he keeps on going. He says, uh, verse number four, and everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them ability. Verse number six, and when they heard the loud noise, talking about the people outside, the people that, that weren't in that room, when they heard a loud noise, everyone came running and they were bewildered to hear their own languages. Verse seven, seven they were completely amazed. How can this be? Verse number 11, last part of verse number 11, it says, that they, we all hear these people speaking in our own language about the wonderful things that God has done. And you see this scene here. All of a sudden, the gospel was, was starting to stir up around the area because God began to do something in the midst of believers that had been meeting there time and again, been praying and worshiping together. And all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit shows up and this great move of God takes place. 
And people from the outside started hearing about these believers and what was going on in their midst. They started hearing the gospel in their own languages about what God was doing there. Of how God was changing people's lives and how God was, was showing up in a big way and how he was moving in this, this group of believers. And then all of a sudden, you see in this passage where uh, the, the disciples stood up and began to preach the gospel. It says, listen, you're the guys. You're the ones that put Jesus on the cross. You're the one that, that, uh, that, uh, that nailed him to the cross. You're the one that killed our Savior. And they kept preaching and they kept preaching And then all of a sudden in verse number 37, it says this, Peter's words pierced their hearts and they said to him and to the other apostles, brothers, what should we do? And Peter replied, each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is to you and to your children and even to the Gentiles, all who have been called by the Lord our God. Then Peter continued preaching for a long time, strongly urging all listeners, save yourselves from this crooked generation. And those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day, about 3,000 in all. An incredible, an incredible move of God took place during this day where 3,000 people on the outside, 3,000 people that had never heard about Jesus, heard about Jesus and responded to the gospel of, of Christ because of what was happening in a meeting place. What happened in a group of believers that were meeting together constantly, uh, praying and worshiping and warning and pursuing Christ relentlessly. And the truth is, is, is I asked this question when I was reading this passage where it says in, um, where Peter said they were baptized and added to the church that day, 3,000 and all. And the question is, why can't that day be this day for us? Why can't that day be that day for this group of believers, this group of teenagers for this moment in time where we understand, as Tommy says, we understand who we are. And we understand that, you know, a lot of us are rule keepers and a lot of us are rule breakers. But really, in reality, all of us are rule breakers. And Jesus asks us into this, this grace relationship where he gives us this free gift of grace. And he says, here it is. All you have to do is accept it. All you have to do is give your life to it. And it's yours. Forgiveness of sins. And then this understanding that outside of these walls is a harvest that is ready to be picked. It's ready for workers like you to walk out of this room on fire for God, relentlessly pursuing Christ, to walk out of these doors and reach your schools for Christ, reach your families for Christ, and see what God can do through you, through a person that is pursuing Christ with everything about them. That's the power of God through us. And that's so what he wants to see in us this morning. On the back of your shirts is a quote. The very first one, it says this, if no one else will, then I must say that I do love my Lord Jesus with all of my heart. This is a quote from a 13-year-old girl in 1905 in the country of Wales. And she said, you know what, if, if my friends won't love Jesus, I will. If my family won't love Jesus, I will. If my school won't, if my church won't love Jesus, I will. At that time in Wales, the Christianity was on the decline. Spirituality was on the decline. People following Jesus was on the decline. And then a 13-year-old girl said, if nobody else will, 
I will love Jesus with all of my heart. I will relentlessly pursue Christ with everything inside of me. And that sparked a revival in her small youth group, in her small church, that spread across the country, that spread across the Atlantic Ocean to the United States, that spread, ended up spreading to a lot of the world where pockets of revival began to pop up because one 13-year-old girl says, I don't care what anybody else does. I'm going after Jesus with everything I've got, with everything I've got. And I guarantee you that there's a 13-year-old girl in here that needs to pray that prayer, that needs to say those same words that'll spread to their small group, that'll spread to their family, that'll spread to this youth group, that'll spread to the church, and hopefully spread outside of these walls to your school. There needs to be some teenagers that rise up and say, I don't care what anybody else does. I don't care what anybody else says. I don't care if anybody comes along with me. I don't care if my school does. I don't care if even my church does it. I'm going to love Jesus no matter what anybody says. And I'm going to love him with all of my heart and let the consequences fall as they may. I will love Jesus with all of my heart. Also on the back of your shirt, is the very last one. This is a quote from a pastor in the 1800s named Charles Finney. He says this, you see why you have not a revival. It is only because you do not want one. I want you to think about that. That. I want you to think about that quote. See why you don't have revival. It's because you don't want one. You see, we, we relentlessly pursue so many things in our life. We relentlessly pursue greatness, as Tommy has preached about. We relentlessly pursue selfish ambition and what, what the world can give us and the money that the world can give us and the, the acclaim that the world can give us and, and all these different things. We relentlessly pursue those things, and, and we kind of want revival. We kind of want what Jesus has for us as well. And we see passages in Acts chapter 2, and it says, and it's, it shows what God can do in the midst of a group of people that are wholeheartedly pursuing Christ. We kind of want that. And deep down in our hearts, we really, really want it. But we won't practice that in our life. We won't relentlessly pursue Christ. As I, I was reading Acts not too long ago, and I'm fixing to go back through it this week, but I, I had a thought that came to my mind. Because I've read these stories before and I've seen what God could do through these people. You know, the very next chapter, Peter and John are going to the temple and they see a beggar laying there begging, saying, please give me something, some money. Please give me something. I need something. And people just passing them by. And Peter and John stop and, and look at him and says, I don't, I don't have silver and gold, but what I have, I'm going to give you. And he reaches down and picks them up and, and heals him. Right there on the spot, giving them Jesus. And I see these stories, and I see this story about 3,000 people getting saved. I see this story about how the Holy Spirit rushed into this meeting place with 120 or so people and, and really started working like only God could do. And I had a thought that came to my mind, and it was this. And this is so simple. These aren't just stories. God really did these things. And it's the most simple thought that you could possibly have, but it changes the way that you read the book of Acts. It changes the way you look at your own life, your Christian life. Because these aren't just stories out of a book. These aren't just things that are folklore. 
These are things that God really did in the midst of his followers. And he really wants to do again. And Charles Finney says, I understand why you don't have revival. It's because you don't want it. You don't want it. God's not just going to dump it into our laps. He can. He has. But the thing is, he wants to sense, he wants to know that we're hungry for it, that we're able and we're willing to push away the world. We're willing to put everything else behind us and and totally go after Christ. And then he has a conduit for his work to happen. And then he can show up in in a mighty way when we push it all to the side and we push it back and say, these things just don't matter anymore. You're the only thing that matters. There's a passage of scripture that's really been digging down into me. I've seen it a billion places, it seems like, since I read it the very first time. And it's Psalm 27, verse number 14. And it has everything to do with this because I want God to move in mighty ways. I want him to do incredible things. I want this youth group not just to have a big number like this at D now, but I want you to be able to go outside of these walls and be on mission with your life where the power of God is on you and see what God can do with a group of teenagers from Woodward and Kentucky in this world. And he wants to see that happen too. And this verse, it's going to connect back to Acts chapter 1 here in a second, but this verse right here has been rocking my world. Because I'm a guy that likes to plan. I like a to-do list. I like goals to be set. I like to have it all worked out in my mind. Anybody that works with me, and when it comes to like D-Now and things like that, I have it all set up in my mind exactly how it should go. Do you realize how bad it bothered me the other night when the, the lens cap for the projector fell down and covered half of the screen? I was tore up inside of me going, D-Now's ruined. It's just ruined. It's over. You know, and then the two videos that I had that we just checked right before the service didn't work. You talking about the devil working on me? I was sitting back there going, this is the worst thing I've ever done in my life. You know, I just beat myself up because I I have it in my mind how it exactly should be and how it should look. And then I come back to a verse like this and I think about the power of God and I think about what he wants to do in my life and I read this verse and it changes, has changed me. It's changed my life. Psalm 27 Verse 14, wait patiently for the Lord. Anybody like to wait in here? How many of you hate lines? How many of you hate traffic? Man, how many of you hate like the microwave taking 15 seconds to warm your donut? I'm telling you, I hate, I hate waiting for anything. You know, wait patiently, not just wait, wait patiently for the Lord. Be brave and courageous. Yes, wait patiently for the Lord. And I read that verse one morning, and I'd read it a hundred times before, and then it clicked. Wait patiently for the Lord. Goes against everything about me. And then he says, be brave and courageous. The song we sing, you make me brave, you call us out beyond the shore and to the waves, you make me brave. And I was thinking, you know what? To wait patiently for the Lord takes all of the bravery and courage inside of us. 
It is the most brave and courageous thing to do because I can get so far ahead of God. I can get so far ahead of him in my plans and my goals and my ambitions and what I want to do and what, the way that I see this thing working out. And I get so far ahead of him that I forgot to wait on him. And I become my own God. And I, and I, and I, and I. And it's the most cowardly and most selfish thing that I could do in my, in my Christian life. And, and no wonder that so many times I live a powerless, anemic Christian life because I'm way ahead of God, not doing a thing what God wants me to do. It's what I think he wants me to do. And I just jump on out there instead of stopping and waiting and letting him speak. And he says, to wait on me is the most brave and courageous thing that you can do. There are some people in here that have already decided, you're like, you used to decide college when you were in seventh grade. You're like, I'm going there, I'm doing this, I'm making a lot of money, I'm doing, you know, I'm getting this car, I'm doing that thing. I'm going to play that sport and go to the, you know, major leagues and all this kind of stuff. And you already got your whole life planned out exactly how you see it and how the perfect way it should line up. And so many of us don't sit and wait on God to speak. And the most cowardly and selfish thing that we can do is to jump ahead and rush ahead of God. But God says, wait, wait, wait on me. Flip back to Acts chapter one. We're going to tie it all up here. I love Acts chapter two. I love it. I want it so bad. I want revival so bad. I want to see God move so much. I would sit here all day. If I knew that at some point during this day that the Holy Spirit of God was going to rush into this building and do his thing, I would so want that. And I would be waiting and, and so want that. But this is the thing. I want it now. I want it right now. And I forget that to get to Acts chapter 2, you've got to go through Acts chapter number 1. And this is where we wait. Acts chapter 1, look at verse number 2. Look at verse number 3. During the 40 days after his crucifixion, he appeared to the apostles from time to time, and he proved to them in many ways that he was actually alive. And he talked to them about the kingdom of God. Okay, does anybody know what happened 40 days prior to this? Peter denied Christ. The, all the disciples were scattered because Jesus has, was being crucified. Okay, so they were like, peace out, I'm gone. I can't handle this. I don't know what's going on. I'm just going to get back to my life. That's, that's what happened. But Jesus was resurrected. Re Jesus came back to life. And for 40 days, he met with them over and over and over again, talking to them about the kingdom of God and proving to them that he was alive, proving to them that he was alive. Now, this just goes to show you that we are, we are just as dumb today as the disciples were back then. If Jesus was meeting with me day after day, physically alive, bodily form, in a meeting, day after day, I think I would know he's alive. I think I would know that. Jesus has touched my hands. I touch his hands, and it's... And it's there. You know, Jesus says, tickle my feet. You tickle his feet. It's there. He laughs, you know, and you're like, he's alive, you know. And it says here that day after day, he was meeting with them to prove, to prove that he was alive, to talk to them about the kingdom of God. 
The disciples needed proof. They needed to know that he was alive. They needed to know that. And we're just the same way. We sing worship songs. We speak truth to ourselves. We read scripture. And so many times we still have doubts. How many, how many of you have had doubts before? Raise your hand if you've had doubts before. Is he real? Is God even in existence? Did he really rise from the grave? The disciples had the same questions. And Jesus was meeting them day after day saying, listen, I'm I'm alive. I'm alive. And and this is foundational. The thing is, is, is once you understand and once you believe and once you trust that he is who he is and that he is really alive, it changes your life. When you understand that this Jesus is not just in a book, this is a person that has forgiven me of my sin. He's given me his grace. And he's alive. He's not dead anymore. And I trust that. I, I believe that. He comes in and he changes your life. And your life looks so much different. So much different from then on. Because so many times we live in this, this stage of doubt. We don't know one thing from the next. We don't know if he's alive or he's not. And we're sitting in limbo all the time. And no wonder we, we don't really step out there because we just don't know if it's the real deal. And that's the deal. He was like, listen, guys, I, want you, I, don't, I don't care how long it takes. If it takes 40 days, if it takes 400 days, you need to understand that I am alive. 40 days before this, they just saw him dead on the cross and, they, and their lives were shattered. And 40 days later, they got it. They got it. It says they talked to him about the kingdom of God. And it goes on in verse number eight. It says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere. This doesn't show you the plan for your life. You need to be a doctor, a lawyer, a stay-at-home mom, or a janitor. It doesn't tell you those things. It doesn't tell you if you should go to Western or UK or Vanderbilt. It doesn't tell you any of those things. But what it does tell you, it tells every single one of us. Every single believer in this room, whether you become a janitor, whether you just stay in school your whole life because you can't get out of the 10th grade or whatever the case may be, he tells you the exact same thing. He says, you will tell about me everywhere you go, everywhere you go. This is what it's all about. And they could, and they were willing to do this because they understood that he was alive. Then the disciples, you think, okay, boom. Acts chapter 2 happens, right? They give, Jesus gives them the commission and they go about their merry way and then boom, the Holy Spirit lands on them and it all goes crazy. It goes awesome. Not so much. In verse number 12, it says this. In verse number 13, when they arrived, they went to the upstairs room of the house where they were staying and on and on and on, it talks about them praying. They wait. Jesus tells them to wait. And, and what I would do, if it was verse number eight, and Jesus says, verse number eight, and he goes off into heaven, says, you're going to tell about me everywhere in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and all those places. I would start making a plan in my head. Okay, we're going to go to Jerusalem. We're going to set up this team, and we're going to do this here. And then we're going to, we're going to make sure we rise up, raise up leaders, and we're going to go to Judea and, and do the same thing and start planting churches. We're going to start talking about Jesus everywhere we go. And, and what happens is, is they go up in the upstairs, and they just sit, and they pray, and they pray, and they beg God 
for his presence. And they beg God for his power. And they beg God to help them believe beyond a shadow of a doubt that he's alive. Help them, they, they pray that, that the kingdom of God will be made known into the earth. And they pray, and they pray, and they pray, and they pray. Then Acts chapter 2 comes, and the Holy Spirit comes on them. Because they didn't get ahead of God, they did exactly the opposite. They wait. So the challenge to today, as we leave this place, is to relentlessly pursue Christ with everything that we have in the biggest way, the most courageous and most brave way that you can do that is to get on your face in your bedroom or get on your face in your small groups. Get on your face with your family and beg him for him. Not making plans, not laying out your life, but begging Jesus for him, to know him, to know that he's alive. And then you give your life to him because there's nothing out there that can measure up to a God who came to earth to die for our sins, to die for our sins, and to be raised to life in victory over death and hell, and to know that. There's nothing that you can give your life to that is greater than that. That's what it's all about. On the back of your shirts, there's one last quote. It's from Jim Cimbala. He's a pastor in Brooklyn, New York. And he went to a pastor, a little small church that was dying with 12 people. 12 people. And he says this. I despaired at the thought that my life might slip by without seeing God show himself mightily on our behalf. I despaired at the thought that my life might slip by without God showing himself mightily on our behalf. You could say this as a seventh grader, eighth grader, all the way through high school. Change it to you. I despaired at the thought that my middle school and high school years would slip by without God showing himself mightily on our behalf. The thing is, if we come to D-Nown camp and everything that we do in the youth, the fun that we have, the laughs that we have, and that's all it is, it's the biggest waste of time. But if you as a seventh grade boy will pray as, I don't want to get out of this youth group until God shows up, and I better not step foot on that stage as a senior and a graduate I don't want that to happen where I step foot across that stage and, and where he doesn't show up. And it all starts by not, uh, where I start busting out of the seams and going for it. It's, it starts when we wait and we pour ourselves out to it. And that's exactly what Symbola did in New York. He got that little group of people together and they just prayed and they prayed and they prayed. And what God did next, only God could do. And that's my prayer for us. As we relentlessly pursue Christ with our lives, it's going to take you guys falling on your faces before God, begging him, 
pursuing him in prayer and going after him with everything you've got. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. We thank you, Jesus, for who you are. Thank you for you. Make us brave today. Make us brave. Call us out of our comfort zones. Call us out of this building. Call us out of ourselves and help us to fall on our faces in pursuit of your presence and your power in our lives. I, we, so want Acts chapter 2. But God, we can never have that. We're not ready for Acts chapter 2 until we give up ourselves in Acts chapter 1 and pursue you and want only you. Let's stand to our feet. I don't know how God has spoken to you this weekend. I don't know how he's dealing with you. Um, all I can throw out there to you this morning is let's, let's pursue him. Let's relentlessly abandon ourselves and our ambitions and our goals and go after the only person that even matters. So as God speaks this morning, it's crowded in here, but you, if, if you feel like God's speaking to you, you sit down right where you are and pray and begin that journey, begin that process of pursuing him through waiting. And if you want to come up there, that's okay too, but if you don't feel comfortable doing that and trying to get around the people, you sit right where you are and pursue him now and continue that as we leave this place today. So let's worship together.